Well, good morning to everybody here with us this morning in person. It's a joy to see your faces, to hear you singing, to hear your voices. Uh, We have good reasons to sing, good words to sing, and uh, what a privilege it is to do that together. Thank you for those of us. those of you joining with us online, we're glad that we were able to share in this together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. I promise it will be more than one word. Uh, last week we considered the word therefore. Um, now we're going to get on to all the things that come after it. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, this is a series that we're doing, walking through, really ultimately the sufficiency of God for us through the gospel both in its foundation of our faith and then the living out of that faith. It is the gospel doctrine of that which we believe in the gospel culture, that which we belong to and live out. And it's both of those things. God is sufficient for both. His grace is sufficient for us in this. And so let's turn our heads, our hearts to consider uh, this transition in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. God, we come to your word. We pray for your spirit to be at work within us in the preaching, in the hearing, in the receiving, in the believing, in the trusting and the clinging to your word. Now would you do it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Bilbo Baggins was an unwilling participant on his journey with a group of unruly dwarves in The Hobbit. Bilbo was comfortable in his life and didn't need or want any sort of adventure. And for those who have read The Hobbit, you know that the adventure was more impacting for Bilbo than he could have possibly ever have known or anticipated. He grew in ways he would never have grown had he stayed in his comfortable, shire life. And so it is with us. We are on an adventure in Christ. And we have been given unexpected and maybe at times unruly traveling mates on this adventure. Ephesians 4 through 6, these three chapters, basically form a roadmap for this adventure. And to kick it off, we will consider how crucially important it is that we set off on this adventure with shared gospel unity. Shared gospel unity. Gospel unity sort of shows up or is evident in these ways that I want us to consider Sort of using that journey, that adventure, that metaphor as a word picture. Gospel unity is, first of all, in the same direction. For a church to be sharing in gospel unity, we are going in the same direction. We'll explore that in a moment. We do so 
with shared commitments. Shared commitments of how we're going to live out this journey in the same direction together. And then we do that, the thing that's undergirding all of that, the direction and how we go, is that gospel unity is on one foundation. And we're going to explore that together in this opening paragraph of Ephesians chapter 4. First, in the same direction. We're going in the same direction. And Paul here uses the word walk or walking as a metaphor for a lifestyle, for the manner in which we live. Look again at verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul uses this metaphor, walking, for how we are to live out our lives in Christ. Often. He uses it often. In fact, in his letters, there are 13 of them in the New Testament. He uses this picture 32 times. But the greatest concentration of the use of walk is found in Ephesians, where he uses it eight times in this letter. Eight of the 32 are found here in Ephesians. He places an incredibly high value on our living, our manner of living. That we live in light of what we have received in the gospel. One way to put it is, the dead made alive live. To use some of the things that we considered in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. The dead, who are now made alive, live. That's Paul's emphasis here in Ephesians 4 through 6. You're not made alive to wait. To sit around and just kind of eke through life. You're made alive in Christ to live. And so what that living looks like, he gets into in these three chapters. And what he says here is a couple of things about this same direction. We walk in Christ and we walk to Christ. In fact, our walking in Christ together as a church is a walking to Christ. That which we believe, that which we hope in, that which we want to know and long to know in increasing measure in our lives, in the character of our lives. We're going in a Christward direction. We're walking in Christ and we are walking to Christ. At the center of our walk is Christ. If we want to know where we're going, if we want to know what it's going to be like on the way, if we want to know the destination, then we want to know Christ. That is this metaphor. We are, our lifestyle is to be centered on and saturated with Christ. All that God is for us in Christ. All that we have in Christ. It is Shaping and fueling our walking. It's at the heart of the church. Any church. And my hope is it's really ultimately the heart of our church. Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. 2023. That we would be all about this walk. Walking in Christ. And walking to Christ. Paul uses this in a very meaningful way. To convey to us that we are to be going in the same direction. 
Walking is also, as we see from this verse, according to our calling. Again, looking back, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, we need to sort of disentangle some of the things that we think of when we think of the word calling. We usually think of, when we hear the word calling, something that's associated with sort of a call to vocational ministry or a call to live in a particular place. We are not, Paul's not using this idea of calling to describe someone feeling the urge to go into ministry as a full-time livelihood or feeling the call to live in a certain place. It's not so much vocation and location. Actually, calling in the New Testament has very little to do with any of that, in fact. It's overwhelmingly used to describe how we live. God's matter on how we go about living. That's the most frequent use of calling in the New Testament. It's not about ministry or where to live, but about understanding God's purposes for how we are to live. A couple of examples. There are many, but I'll just give you a couple. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Has really little to do with what you do with life and where you live, but more about how you live out the what you do and where you live. Or take 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Again, whatever you do and wherever you do it, God's very much concerned about how. How you live out what you do, where you live. That's how the New Testament uses calling. And so, for us, as we think about walking, that is, living out our lives, walking in Christ and to Christ, according to our calling, we need to see that God cares very much about how we go about living out that together in the same direction. Every one of us who have been born again in Christ have the same calling. Walk in Christ and walk to Christ. Additionally, as we go through this letter, context always matters. No matter where you are in the Bible, the context matters It informs what it is that you're reading. The unavoidable context of Paul's use of calling in Ephesians is that we are to go in the same direction as the church. As the church. That we are called into the context of the church. That that's very much a part of God's purposes for your life. Is that you would belong to the church. Both The church big and broad, the spiritual idea of the church, all of God's people from everywhere, from all times, yes. But also, very specifically, into the church, that is, God's people gathered together specifically and corporately in a a specific place with specific people in mind. For us, that would be Trinity Baptist Church. That God's purposes for your life include very much A big part of that is your life together here at Trinity. I was with a pastor this week, and he put it this way. It was just, we were just talking about life and ministry. And he said, church is God's plan A for us in this world. There is no plan B. Sometimes plan A is hard. (laughs) 
Sometimes plan A is uncomfortable. Sometimes plan A is really difficult to hold on to in a world that is incredibly busy. And that wants more real estate of your time, your energy, your talents, your life. So I'm not saying that's easy, but I agree with that, pastor friend. It is God's plan A for us. Now, there are two perspectives that we might bring to the table here or bring to this thing called the church, bring to this walking and going in this same direction that might undermine a church. There are two things, there are probably many others that we could say, but there are two things that I think are important for us to wrestle with when we think about God's plan A for us in the life of the church, going in the same direction together in Christ and to Christ. The first perspective that undermines a church is if we bring a consumeristic mindset, a consumeristic perspective to the church. That is, we're looking to the church to get what we want, and we move on to a church that has a better deal, like you would as a consumer. As you consider stores, or if you're looking for a particular item to purchase, you, you look for the, the best value or the best deal. And we bring that mentality to the church. Or another way to do that is we bring the mentality that we would have if we were planning a vacation on a cruise ship. And we bring cruise ship mentality to the church. What happens on a cruise ship? Well, it's just you living it up. Some, a whole bunch of other people are doing all the work. You leave your cabin, somebody else comes in and makes it. You go into the various restaurants, all the food is prepared and laid out for you. There's a little monkey made out of towels in your room when you come back. You plan all the excursions. You, you're very selective over all of the things that you want to do. A cruise ship is wonderful for vacations. It's a disaster to bring that mindset into a church. Consumeristic thinking undermines a church. Undermines that walking in this direction together, in the same direction together. Looking for the church to fulfill the consumeristic perspective. The other checklist that undermines a church, well, I just said it. The other perspective that undermines a church is to bring a checklist mentality to the church. That you're looking at the, at the church as a religious obligation that you're happily and eagerly checking off from Sunday from 10 to 11.30, depending on the preacher. And you just check it off and back to the other things of life, the more important things of life. I did the check. I'm good to go. Feel good. Doesn't feel very much like we're going in the same direction together on that. Either looking to consume or to check off. None of, none of those are life-giving. None of those are helpful to going in the same direction with each other. Instead, we are to see the church as God's plan A for our helping each other go in the same direction in Christ and to Christ. While we will have the same destination, we need to know some things about going in the same direction together that are very important. This is crucial. While we have the same destination, it's Christ. Not everyone in this room or everyone who calls Trinity home 
we'll be moving at the same pace. We don't journey at the same pace. We journey to the same place, but we don't necessarily journey at the same pace. And because of this, that's why Paul starts off where he does here in Ephesians 4. We need gospel unity together. We need to be tied to something bigger than the pace in which we are moving. We'll explore that further here in this next point. Is that as we are going in the same direction, gospel unity is very concerned that we go in the same direction with shared commitments. Shared commitments with each other. Shared commitments of how we will journey to this place, to Christ. How we will journey knowing that not all of us will be moving at the same pace. So how do we do that? Some of you in here got together with, you got prepared to come and gather together this morning. And you did so in a house full of other people. And some of those people did not go the same pace as you (laughs) at getting ready to get here. And if it weren't for your grace, they would still be getting ready to get here. What do we do? How do we do this? How do we go on this long journey to Christ when we are going to be going at different paces? Well, anticipating that, Paul says these words in Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Let's look at them again. We do so with... All humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What is it that we're going to bring along with us as we go in the same direction? What are we packing in our bag, if you will? I love, I've referred to this often, I, I love watching the NBA. I love basketball and I love watching the NBA. It's great. And I'll be sitting there watching a game and this player will do something that I hadn't seen that player do before. And and I'll say to myself, audibly, even if I'm the only one in the room, well, I didn't know you had that in your bag. It's a little expression that, that a player has in his bag, all these various skills and abilities, and occasionally brings them out in the course of a game. It's mesmerizing to a basketball fan. We all gather together. We all have in our bag the things that God has given us to live out together. And so what do we have in our bag that God has given us to live out together? And one of the things that we see here is first and foremost, underlying really all of it, is that what we do when we are going on this journey together is that in our bag, if you will, is humility. Gospel unity is, is, is show, shows up with shared commitments, and those shared commitments are, are sourced and found with this idea of all humility. The root meaning for the word humility means to be lowly minded, to be lowly minded. And so to to regard one another with humility is to be lowly minded with one another. Now, lowly mindedness is not some sort of ultra spiritual low self-esteem. That's not that's not what we're saying here, that we're all to have incredibly low self-esteem about ourselves. Unity isn't a, a series of a bunch of us getting together and out WB downering each other. We're not to, to be that in the context of the church. Lowly mindedness, however, carries a much more positive tone than maybe what we initially drift to. 
It's like this. God has been overwhelmingly gracious to me. And I know without a doubt, I didn't deserve an ounce of it. And because God has been so overwhelmingly gracious to me, it is so easy for me to give away to others what I have received. To understand ourselves rightly. Lowly mindedness understands ourselves rightly and understands the overwhelming nature and scope of God's grace. Lowly mindedness says, ah, all that I've received is so much. Here, have more. Have some. That we would live out our lives together in Christ and to Christ with this sort of lowly mindedness. To be lowly minded is to champion grace to each other and not to seek any of the credit. Lowly mindedness deflects attention from ourselves by, by reflecting attention to Christ. There might be some people in this room that God has used in your life at critical times. Maybe it's just their heart and their compassion for you. Maybe it was their generosity of time, resources that they have happily and selflessly gave to you. Maybe, maybe they are able to sit down with you in a coffee shop or your living room and open up the word and help walk through the truths of God and how it relates to your life. Maybe they taught you a class in one of the, the kids' classes. Or, or maybe if you're a teenager, it's, it's some adult who shares his or her life Wednesday night after Wednesday night after Wednesday night just cares deeply about you and that's left an impression on you and you think so very highly of them. That's lowly mindedness being lived out and you're experiencing that. And lowly mindedness is not seeking to be the center of attention, but, but really to be the reflector of all of that. To say, yeah, I love being in your life because Christ is so worth it. It's to reflect others on to Christ with all humility. We do this. We do this. And that sort of humility fosters more humility. And it fights against pride. It wars against the consumer in us and the checklist in us. It says there's something more worth it to be a part of this church going in this direction together. With all humility. And that informs some other things that we see here. We also see with gentleness that we are going in this direction with the shared commitment of gentleness. Well, we know that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So it's a work of the Spirit in us. And we know that gentleness can also mean meekness. Now, gentle and meek does not equal weak. It's not weakness. Rather, this gentleness and this meekness, it's a willingness to set aside your own rights for the consideration of others. It's willingness to set aside yourself for the consideration of others. That you don't think of yourself as such a big deal. And others, others as you do that, as you don't think of yourself as such a big deal, others become more important. Especially encouraging others to look to Christ and to cling to him. And to say, hey, come along on this direction. To notice others who might be slowly fading off of the journey. To, to set aside your own time and energies to be into their life and say, hey, how are you? What's going on? How can I help? That sort of gentleness. Instead of coming in with a corrective, you're doing it wrong. 
You come into other people's lives and say, what, what can I do to help? How can I encourage you? Let's get together and read God's word and pray. We do so in this direction with gentleness. We also do it with patience. With patience. Which is, you know, the joke is be careful about praying for patience, right? You know, because then God will give you a context in which you have to be patient. It's one thing I will never pray. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) With patience. I mean, it's actually further described as lovingly bearing with one another. We are called to patiently endure, bear with, quite literally, it means to put up with each other. I know that sounds like a, a kind of a negative connotation, but we're people on this side of glory. So there are things that we have to put up with. But it's also another example of living out of what we have received from God. You can say that God has put up with us. God has lovingly bore with us, patiently endured us. I mean, think of how, how God has made himself known. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, what does it say? It says, God says to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is what we have received from God. And we live out of that with each other. Instead of devouring each other with defensiveness or self-righteousness, we actually get to take a long road approach with each other. It's a long journey going in the same direction, and we do so with these shared commitments. Now, I want to be careful here. And Paul will help us later in this chapter. That doesn't mean we excuse, gloss over, look past sin, or areas that we see each other struggling with. Actually, rather, we strive to speak truth and love, to be lowly-minded and gentle with each other, pointing each other back to Christ. We aren't to be a moral police, but we also aren't to be uncaring acquaintances. There's something more at play here in these shared commitments. We are brothers and sisters in the faith. And we are called to care for one another, even and especially when it is hard to do so. Gospel unity has these shared commitments. And then lastly, it's actually with unity. But what what comes with that is that it is unity that we are eagerly and dependently pursuing. We are eagerly to pursue and maintain unity. This sort of unity. We are to do so knowing that it is a fruit or work of the Spirit in us. So first, eagerly. That means we're going in the same direction with these shared commitments intentionally and purposefully and personally. That means that we are doing this together with our time, with our talents, with our proximity, with our passions for and with one another. People will know If others care, you'll know if people care. And people will know if you care. And sometimes we just show up wanting to know somebody cares. And God has built this into our lives. He's given us and called us to this thing called the church. Where we are to be personally and passionately caring about the same direction we're going. With these shared commitments. In each other's actual lives. Beyond the level of, hey, how are you? Good to see you. 
Please say that and ask those things, of course. But also plumb deeper in each other's lives. Go deeper into that. People will know if we care. You'll know if people care. Do so eagerly. Do so also dependently. It's of the Spirit. We can't foster unity without the Spirit at work with us, within us. So that should lead us to really recognize the fact that we need to turn our attention to God in prayerful dependence. That we would be good traveling mates in the same direction. So I say, what's in your bag? Is it Christ? Because in Christ we have humility. In Christ we have gentleness. In Christ we have patience. In Christ we have unity. And because in Christ he is those things. All of those descriptions are perfectly put on display in Jesus. And so if Jesus is the direction we're walking in and to, then more and more of Jesus is to be the experience in our shared commitments. And that leads us then to consider lastly and quickly, all of this is happening under one foundation. And this list that Paul rattles off, sort of with a beautiful writing, not just trying to convey to us a logical argument or idea, but trying to inspire us and in our hearts, he lays out a sufficient foundation for our unity. Listen again to this in verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This foundation for our direction and our commitments is sufficient in every way. It lacks nothing. One body. We are members of the body. Not only do we belong to Christ, but we belong to each other. One spirit, the same spirit, indwells each believer and applies the same completed work of Christ to our lives, to our hearts. You share in that. One hope. We go on this journey with a fixed future that produces current joy as we trudge and labor and walk through all kinds of experiences in this life. One Lord, there is one name we are all under, Jesus Christ, gentle and lowly to save, strong and sure to reign. That is our Lord. That is who we are in together. Not someone weak or uncaring. We have one faith. There is the objective Truth of Christian belief. The the very thing we're clinging to. That Paul spent three chapters unpacking. We share that together. It's our foundation. We have one baptism. We trust in the same Savior. And receive the same sign of belonging to Him. We share in the joy of that moment. One God and Father who is purposeful, intentional, and sovereign, and gracious. God, over all, He cares for His people with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. That is our foundation. It is sure and sufficient for our journey together. 
It's got enough to it to shape and fuel our commitments that we are sharing. This is the road we travel. It's the road we travel together. And so we go. Gospel unity is saying we're going in the same direction. With these shared commitments on this one path, this one foundation. Let's be in each other's lives in such a way to to help each other, no matter our pace, to reach that place of God's glory and grace. We do so knowing that Jesus is not only the means and the end of the journey, but he is also for us and he is with us. Early in the service, Jesus' prayer at the close of his earthly ministry was read and we set our heads and our hearts on it and I want to close with it. This is Jesus' care for our journey in the same direction with these shared commitments on this one foundation. This is his intercession on our behalf. He, he prayed these words and he is interceding these words even right now this very moment as we're hearing these words. This is how much he cares about this journey we're going on together. John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us right there. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And that's profound. That's a, that's a month of Sundays of sermons just in that alone. But I will just simply say that that's how much Jesus cares about the journey that we are on. The direction that we are going. The commitments that we are sharing. And the foundation that we are walking on. He is for us and with us. So let's help each other see that. And go that way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that it would find a home in our hearts. That it would shape and encourage and strengthen our faith. That we would feel all the more encouragement to live out this journey together in the same direction. Help us to be people who live out our calling to follow after you with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, with unity, in such a way that others may come to see and know that you are God, you are good, and you save. We pray it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.